Welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young Christians living in Montreal, looking at issues of faith in Jesus Christ and how to serve Him faithfully in the world today. Hope you enjoy today's sermon, which is on the topic of dating. Okay, so before we get into the sermon, let's just uh, pray together. Dear God, we, uh, we want to come before you first and foremost, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us tonight to, to know what it is that we're called to in the season of life that we're in, whatever it is, whether we're single, dating, or married. God, we believe that you have a will for us and, and an attitude that you wish for us to adopt in each of these seasons. And Father, we pray that you might help us to know this. I'm especially aware tonight, Lord, of the hurts and the fear and the uncertainty that can surround people when it comes to romantic relationships. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be in the midst of us, bringing comfort, bringing a sense of uh, hope and closure, uh, a changing of perspective if that's necessary. Lord, we, we pray that wounds would be healed tonight uh, and that there would be a replacement of faulty ideas with uh, true godly ideas and father that yeah you would just have your way in our hearts in, in every sense so we want to offer ourselves first and foremost up to you tonight and i offer my sermon up to you tonight lord and a lot of it's based on opinion that is built upon uh, very very uh, strained bible verses honestly so there's a lot of room for error here, God, and I really hope and pray that you would guide me tonight as you have been throughout the day. And I pray, Lord, that whatever is true would stick and whatever is not would fade away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I want to start by talking about life skills tonight. There's a lot of things in life that you don't learn by instinct, but you have to sort of figure them out one way or another, and when you do that, when you figure them out, then something about your life will be greatly enriched because of it. I think of things like uh, learning how to cook. If you don't know how to cook at least like one thing, your life's not as good as it could be, I'll just be honest. Like, you need to do that. Just get good at one thing, alright? Just like cook an egg or something, like well, that's enough. Just something so that you, know, you have it in your back pocket. You can pull it out if need be. The first thing I ever learned how to cook was a bolognese, like spaghetti bolognese. I, I have refined my recipe over the years. I can cook it almost blindfolded now. It is like a go-to thing for me. I've eaten it way more than I should have. Uh, but yeah, it's the thing. Like As a bachelor, that's what I cooked a lot. And then getting married, I was able to really impress my wife with it. So yes, one life skill, learn how to cook. The second thing is get a driver's license, guys. I mean, I get it, Montreal, you don't really need it, but man, something so freeing and adultish about having a driver's license, you really need to do that, all right? Uh, and last one that I want to give you is learn to clean up after yourself. If you do not know yet how to do your own laundry or how to use a vacuum cleaner or how to iron a shirt or, I don't know, do the dishes without leaving grease behind, things like this, get on that, please because you're, you're not going to live in your mom's house for very long. Your wife or your husband is not going to put up with that nonsense. Do it. All right, Your life will explode with value when you do that as well. Now, in the same way, 
that I don't think you can, I don't mean to condemn anyone straight off the bat, by the way. Uh, in love, I say that. <laughs> in the same way that you cannot really, I think, live well as an adult in this world without some of those things. I don't think you can live well as an adult in this world without a healthy and balanced view on marriage. I think whether you're single, whether you're dating, or whether you are married, if you lack a good, balanced, biblical view of what a marriage is supposed to be, you're, you're going to fall into a few different traps. The first trap you can fall into is that you will over-desire marriage. It'll be something of an obsession for you that you will find way too much weight and emphasis being put on it, or you will under-desire marriage. You will fear it, you will try and run away from it, and that will cause you to lack and to be really impoverished in life as well, if that's not God's will for you to remain single, but to actually get married. Now, these can come from a few different places. If you come from a more traditionally-minded culture, and you had an upbringing that was a bit more sort of about, you know, uh, kind of the old ways, uh, then a lot of times what's attached to that is a very large social significance that comes to marriage. And so, you know, if you're not married, then there's a stigma attached to you. There's something deeply wrong with you if you're not married in that kind of cultural worldview. And so it can develop two things. It can, it can develop, one, the sort of like really desperate neediness within people to be married. They will just have this really gaping hole in their heart until it's there and that can be really a bad place to be in terms of being you know ripe for mistreatment or for falling into the wrong relationship or for being a very incomplete person within a relationship and not standing up for yourself or you can uh, see singleness as a, a big curse something that is just bad and has no redeemable quality to it and something to be avoided or cost and something that makes you sort of a pariah and that would be really misguided as well. And on the other side of things, the other sort of swing of the pendulum, we now today live in a highly individualistic culture. And what we're seeing is that more and more people are becoming more uh, fearful of long-term commitments. That marriage is being avoided because of this crippling fear of what it will cost you and costing your freedom or costing your uh, autonomy or something like that. And so people are pulling back from this notion of what the give and take of marriage will require. And so they don't want to get married. They want to sort of stay aloof and stay above that. And so they under-desire it and they see it as a very negative thing. Uh, but the problem with that is that it's going to cause one of two things. Either the sort of crippling mindset that will cause you to always stay apart from people and never really give yourself over into a relationship because giving yourself over into a relationship is one of, I think, the most freeing things you can do, for one. And number two, one of the most rewarding things that you can do. And so you'll be really hobbling yourself if you give in to that fear. And secondly, it can create this really perfectionist attitude with people where they're saying, I'm not afraid of marriage, I just want to find the one, the, the, the perfect soulmate for me. And they're going to look and look and look for this person who really just doesn't exist. No one is going to be perfect for you. Everyone is going to be broken and incomplete in one sense or another. And so you're going to be on this wild goose chase for something that just simply doesn't exist. And today, we live in a culture that we have far more freedom and access to meet and get to know way, way more people than we used to, uh, given the internet and the high mobility of, of sort of 
the population today. We uh, can also, with our freedom, invest huge amounts of time and energy and money into finding the right person. And what we're finding is, even with this freedom and this uh, high you know, chances of finding a great person, our relationships are still struggling. A lot of the time, we can see all sorts of examples all over culture of relationships that are going badly and this freedom and this whatever else you want to call it has not led to better relationships. It seems that our relationships are still very broken and, and so we're kind of stuck in this place now. And so what I want to start by doing is coming back to what I hope is a godly view about marriage. And I want to start there and then move on to out from there into dating and everything else. So, number one thing that you find about marriage is God cares a whole lot about it. Marriage is a very, very big deal to God. And, and it's something that He very highly values. He designed marriage to be something that would be a great tool of blessing into this world. He designed it so that through marriage the, the couple might grow into Christ likeness more, that the raising of children could be done in this sort of safe and, and loving environment, uh, that it would be an edifying thing to the community, that the community outside of the couple and outside of the, you know, the nuclear family would be blessed by marriage. Uh, it would also reflect his gospel to the world the same way that a husband and wife love each other as much the same way that Christ loves his church. And so we get to see a reflection of the love of God in a good, healthy marriage. So he's designed it to have all of these amazing properties that are supposed to be highly uh, good for the couple, the family, the culture at large, uh, and the spiritual community too. And so it, it's important that we get it right. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail uh, for that tonight, but the one thing I really want to stress is that in order to get marriage right and then to step into that blessing that we're supposed to step into, we need to see marriage as the penultimate thing in our life, at least the penultimate thing. There needs to be something greater that we're aspiring to than to just get married or to be in a relationship. It cannot be the thing that we're seeking. It needs to be the penultimate, at least, thing that we're seeking. The real marriage that we need to seek with the wholeness of our heart is our relationship with God. I mean, that is the thing that our heart truly longs for. And if we start to flip this and make marriage something of an idol, I'll never be happy or fulfilled or, or whatever until I get that thing, that relationship with another person. We've made it into an idol and we're going to put so much pressure on a marriage that it's not meant to hold. You're going to get it to hold the, really the entire weight of your soul. And that's way too much. It will, it will buckle and crack under the pressure of that. You need to, to put God first when it comes to your desire for personal fulfillment, which, you know, that's a, a good and, and fine thing to seek in life, to be fulfilled as a person. But God is the one who's going to be able to fulfill you. Uh, your need for stability in life needs to come firstly from God. Uh, your need for, for status and identity needs to come from God. Your, your emotional dependency needs to rest in God and to be found in Him. And when you do that, when you make God really your true like, soulmate or the love of your heart above all else, 
you will be able to rest in and rejoice in marriage without uh, putting undue stress and strain on it. And you're going to be able to go through singleness with, without this broken worldview, and, and you're going to be able to go through singleness well. So if you do this, if you make God the ultimate thing in marriage, the penultimate thing, not only is it going to bless your marriage, but it's going to bless your singleness as well. It's going to bless the, the dating and then the singleness and all that, whatever comes before it as well. You will be uh, really blessed by this view as well. And the reason that we can do this, the reason that we can have God as our ultimate, it's a freedom bought from, uh, for us by the gospel. It's, it's this amazing thing that's happened because of the gospel. Uh, it, what's spoken of in a lot of the New Testament is this, this inbreaking of a new order in the midst of the old existing order. That for since the dawn of time, really, the, the world has existed in a certain way and the certain powers at work and certain relationships and brokenness that exist in this world and we exist in that still and this world is still having that as well but because of the power of Christ coming into this world he has brought in a new power and uh, we can really st- we can live with these these two orders at work in our heart we we still exist in this world and so we still have we have jobs and we have you know, we plan for the future and we, we do things that we need to in a world that is kind of uncertain and, and there's a give and take in this world. But at the same time, our heart is gripped and freed by this new power that exists, this new world uh, that God has opened up for us through Christ. And there's a really interesting passage that touches upon marriage and touches upon this idea at the same time. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, starting at verse 27 to 31. Now, it's a weird passage. For sure, and maybe it's one that you've come across before and have been confused by it. So I'll try and uh, unpack it a bit tonight for us. First Corinthians chapter seven, starting in verse twenty-seven. Okay. Here we go. Verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want you to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed by them, for the world in its present form is passing away. It's a very interesting passage. And it maybe it stands in kind of a bit of a contrast to what we see throughout the scripture and other places of this really highly exalted view of marriage. Marriage is a good thing, something we should seek in life. And here comes Paul saying, you know what? Don't get married. It's, it's going to be a tough thing. If you get married, not only do you have to care about the things of the Lord, but also the things of your wife. You have to, you know, which, by the way, I love that promise. It really affirms like the needs of your wife are, are absolutely valuable absolutely important and legitimate and so as hus- as a husband I need to take it to heart a lot especially when it comes to ministry but what Paul is saying here is look if you get married 
Good. It's nothing, there's nothing sinful about getting married. Get married. And, and you'll see his argument will continue both before and after that passage. But if you don't get married, that's good too. That's also good. And what he's done here is uh, sort of religious historians point to this as the first example of a religion that exalts singleness. Saying singleness is a good thing. It's something that is worth pursuing, something that God uses and has an exalted... Christianity has an exalted view of the single life, which was the first time a religion taught this. And the reason that we can say singleness has value, and it's not all about getting married and making sure you have this thing, is because we have these two orders at work. And like he says in verse uh, 20... 31, sorry. For, the, uh, for this world in its present form is passing away. He's pointing out this two-world reality that exists before us. We have, on the one hand, the world the way it's always been, the way that we know it works, and the certain values that are at work, and the way that it functions. But we have a new order that's come into this world and is taking over and taking shape in our lives, taking shape in the world around us. And because of this, we can live in both worlds. What this recognizes is that Christ brings a power to us that enables us to overcome that, that first world. And we can live not solely by those values, but we can have a new set of values inside our heart. That's what makes singleness a great and good option. Why? Because God is enough. That power is enough. We can live in this world and be satisfied by Christ. We can live in this world and have a, a full and rich life because of what God has done in opening up the relationship that we can have with Him. And so, get married, be single, it's okay. Choose. Because God is enough in both situations. He is the basis of our contentment. And we can embrace every single season of life and see God's goodness in it. Philippians chapter 4 Verse uh, 11 to 13 illustrates this point too. More famous verse. It says this, I, uh, <clears throat> I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. That means that I can be single because God is good to me and He is enough. And I can be married because God is good to me and He is enough. Both have challenges. Both have unique fruitfulness to them. We can do both, and in both seasons we can focus on the goodness of God and we can say, I am single because God is good to me and this is His best for me. And I am married because God is good to, to me, and this is His best for me. I need to say that at the outset, to ensure that we don't fall into the trap of making marriage uh, an idol and singleness into a curse, making it something that you should, you know, your heart should desperately desire about all, above all other things uh, and kind of leave God in the wayside. You need to hear that. But maybe you hear that, and you're thinking, but I still want to get married, so what do I do? Which is a very valid question. There's nothing wrong with the desire to be married. There's nothing wrong with not being fully pleased with the idea of being single for the rest of your life. 
to look in the, look forward with hope in the future that you will one day get married. There's nothing non-biblical or non-faithful about that. But what I want to stress is, you can be happy, you can be fulfilled in this season of life because God is good. It's not a curse. There is unique blessings to being single. And you can also look forward today prayerfully that God will bring someone into your life. There's nothing incompatible about those two things and holding them together will be necessary in order to not make marriage an idol and singleness a curse. So <clears throat> if you're in that season of life of saying, look, I want to be married, what do I do? Very quickly I'll say, number one, pray or keep praying. I'm sure you are praying already. And secondly, see the goodness of God in this season. Now let's move into the topic of really the sermon tonight, which is dating. It's, there's a goodness in seeking marriage. It's a good thing to seek after. It's a good thing to want. And so there's nothing wrong with wanting it at all. And so when it comes to dating, there's obviously a big link between dating and desiring marriage. And it should be that way as well. And the point of dating should be, in my mind, to reflect the ultimate goal of marriage. Now, maybe you've never asked yourself, what's the goal of marriage? So, I want to just briefly touch on that as well. What is the goal of marriage? Marriage is not primarily about personal fulfillment or social stability. Those things are not bad. They're just not the primary focus of marriage. The primary focus of marriage is that you help each other to become more and more the person that God is making you into. That's what a marriage is for. It's to help you, you know, for me to help Debbie become the woman that God wants her to be and for her to help me become the man that I am meant to be in God's eyes. That's the primary focus of marriage. That's what it's for. And if that's the case, then dating needs to in some small way reflect this idea. Which means when we're going into a dating relationship and we're pursuing dating and pursuing another person, we need to be able, or we need to be looking to fall in love with the person as well as fall in love with what God is doing in that person's life. We need to be able to see and say, I see the person who God is making you into, and I want to be a part of that. I am excited by that. I want to come alongside you and help you become that person. We need to fall in love with who God is making that person. Now, we don't want to make them an idol and a perfect thing and sort of fall in love with just, a, just this idealistic vision of who they are. We need to love and be compatible with that person. But also, we need to, have, we need to know them, to know their character, to know their mission, to know their future as much as we can, at least where they want to go in life, and say, I want to come alongside you in that. I want to know that and be part of that and see that flourish in your life. To, to be in a marriage, what we really need to do is we need to think about the day that our spouse is going to stand before God in judgment. And we need to be doing all that we can in every season of life to prepare them for that day. So I need to think about the day that Debbie is going to stand before God and I need to do all I can in this time of life to prepare her for that day that she is going to stand before God and hopefully God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the goal of marriage. That's what we should be trying to do. And if we do that, then the personal fulfillment that is not a bad thing to seek will come. 
that purpose being given into marriage will give great joy and fulfillment to marriage as well. It's difficult, for sure, but nothing that is good is easy. But it gives great fulfillment and satisfaction. Your marriage is not in and of itself the thing that you focus on. You focus on God, even in a marriage. And focusing on that will bring joy and fulfillment to a marriage too. Now this means we need a dating model that is going to help us move beyond what is commonly sought after in dating, which is kind of infatuation, to be able to move out of that into a more comprehensive attractiveness. Uh, oh, sorry, a comprehensive attraction to the person to be able to see their character, their future, and their mission. So, I'm kind of building a lot here, I know that. We're going to get to the meat and potatoes soon. But let's just look at the way dating has looked the last sort of 100 years or so in our culture. So let's look at, the, very briefly, the history of dating. So, a few decades ago, 100 years ago, dating was what, what would we would call today... Uh, I, you would come calling or you would court somebody, in which it was like this. Uh, a man would be invited into a woman's home to meet her family and to spend time in her home. Uh, and they would get to know each other well then. And this was the case because the family had a great interest in the outcome. The family was a huge part of this decision that you were making and there had to be compatibility and there was sort of social interest involved as well. Uh, and so the focus was on character assessment, the focus was on getting to know each other, uh, and interestingly, it was the woman who would initiate this. She would invite the man in to the house as well, which is an interesting flip to what we have today as well. So that's kind of the way it was. And then sometime, apparently, uh, according to something I read today, around sort of the 50s or so, uh, there was a shift in thinking in that now uh, we shifted into what was called what we consider dating today, where it was no longer about going into the woman's home, but now it was about taking her out and going out to do something with her. And so the focus became about having fun and enjoying and social interactions. It became about uh, you know spending money and novelty, and the family was by and large removed from the equation at least for the first period of time. And so that was a shift that took place. We've had another shift that's taken place, and this is sort of, we're kind of at this precipice now where there's still that very much in our society today, and that's a model that's adopted largely today as well. But there's this other model that's being more and more uh, adopted today, which is sort of what is, I guess we could call a hookup kind of culture today, where you could say in a line, it's sort of sex before dating where people will meet, they will have this sort of initial interaction, which was, is often very sort of sexual or physical, uh, but there's no, in the initial meeting, there's no strings attached, there's no uh, assumption of a relationship that will come out of this. It's just sort of meeting to have this fleeting affair, this fleeting uh, moment, and then it's gone, and you can go through these things and it's no problem. Uh, and they're beginning to see more and more dating as something that will only come in very specific situations in which you're very sure of that person because dating requires a give and take, dating requires uh, this difficult kind of sacrifice, and so it should only be entered into with caution. And so this is kind of the other world that's kind of growing up around dating today as well, is the sort of fear about commitment and, and sort of even that initial dating relationship, uh, there's a fear about it, about what it will require of us. And so there's, there's sort of a hesitation to that, but still holding on to 
the fun and the fleetingness of the physical passion and, and these types of things at the same time. So, where does this leave us today? Uh, culturally speaking, what this means is that we have no real clear model or community structure in place to help those who are in that phase of dating. That if you are dating, you're by and large on your own. You don't have a map and you don't have uh, much, cult much support around you to figure it out as you go along. This is kind of you got to do the best you can in the midst of that. But I don't think it's wise for us to look back nostalgically on the way that things were as if we're going to try and recreate an old model. I know that kind of a lot of you, maybe, grew up in a Christian worldview that was very much about trying to recreate the sort of courting model and like coming to call kind of model. I am not a proponent of that. I don't think that that is what we should be trying to recreate. Now, not to say that that was all bad, there was good elements to it for sure, but what I want to do is recognize the season that we're in as a culture is so different from how it was back then. And that had its own inherent flaws at its time as well. And so let's be realistic about the stage of culture that we're in today and the stage of life as we live it today and to try and build something that will on one hand uphold a Christian worldview and at the same time be realistic about how life is today. So most of the time I see Christians attempting to adopt the models that they see around them. And so what I find is most Christians that I meet today will try to like have either, they'll have either a dating relationship, which is very much about, okay, so we couple up and we go out and do things and we have fun and it's novel and it's great. The only exception for Christians often is we try to maintain sexual purity in the midst of it all. But it's very much about novelty, it's very much about romantic entanglement, uh, about kind of gazing lovingly into each other's eyes and at all of these kind of cutesy-wootsy things. And that's kind of the model of dating. Or we're getting this sort of, it's this weird hybrid that's come out of this fear of dating that very much reflects the hookup culture. Not that we are a hookup culture, but that we have this fear of commitment, of kind of thinking, if I go on the date with someone, we're basically married. Like, and so I've got to be really, really, really careful about going on a date because I don't want to. I don't want to get into this too early, or I don't want to give the guy the wrong idea or the girl the wrong idea. Uh, you know, I need to be a hundred percent sure of this, and I need to be blah 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 blah, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so it's given us this fear about what dating will require, and so we push it off, we push it off, we push it away. We get no experience in this at all. We get no uh, real knowledge of who we are in those things to be able to guide us and help refine us and shape us. And so, it, you know, it's, we're kind of, we're breaking the model in two different ways. And so, we need a model that's going to, I think, ho hopefully get, get us in the right direction. Now, I want to propose a model that will strive for a higher goal than simply surviving dating with your sexual purity intact. And that's often what I see as like the sole goal of Christians within dating. We basically do what everyone else in the world does. We date the same way they do, but we just try to draw the line having sex. And so the whole goal is to get to the other side as virgins. And that's it. And you, I mean, it is funny, but it's really true. Like, 
And so the whole model is exactly the same as the world's model. Like the, the type of activities you'll engage in, the type of boundaries you'll draw, like generally speaking, will be the same way, except you'll say, we're not going to take our pants off. And like, that's it. And so to me, that's such a really silly way of doing it. Number one, it's playing with fire. Because if you, can, if you, if you engage in these incredibly romantic entanglement type of things, you, you're just going to put yourself in areas of extreme temptation, for one. Uh, and two, there's got to be more to it than that. We've got to redeem this time that God has given us to be able to use it differently, use it more wisely. If we just sort of have fun in dating and then all of a sudden pop, we engage and then we're married, what we've essentially done is, is bypass this whole kind of training and building exercise that would have helped us greatly in our marriage. And so for me, it's like, if we do that, if we just kind of date the way the world dates, uh, it's almost like driving bumper cars, you know, like bumper cars and like fairgrounds and stuff like that. It's like driving a bumper car and then all of a sudden being given a car and like, yeah, go for it, just go drive. Like, you're not at all ready for it. Like, that's not going to help you. Like, you're going to hit someone. Oh, that was the whole, anyway. So, I want to try to postulate something that is using time constructively and with the right goal in mind. Now, I can, the best I can do is give tips because everyone's story is going to be different. Uh, I'm not going to be able to sort of give you a model that's going to be one size fits all. So what I want to try and do is give you general principles that will hopefully help you to date well. I should have said this in the beginning, but there was going to be a Q&A at the end. So if you have a burning question, just hold it to the end. Uh, and then if I don't, yeah, you can ask it at the end as well. So, uh, okay, practical tips. Practical tip number one. Here's the meat and potatoes. There are seasons in life in which not pursuing dating or relationships is a good thing. Okay? Surprise? No. That, that shouldn't come as any surprise. If you are starting school, or if you have just broken up with someone, or if you're starting a new season of life, or if you feel very young and immature and unprepared and your friends tell you the same thing, or if you know you need some serious spiritual growth, these are examples of time when it's not a good idea to date someone. If on the flip side, you're someone who feels like you need someone in your life always, that there's, there's a need within you that to just be coupled with someone, that is an idol. You have created an idol that you need to get rid of in your life. You need to be okay with singleness. God is enough. God is sufficient for you. And so you need to be able to secure your identity in Christ. Show wisdom in this, alright? Now that's not, that should be pretty obvious. Anyway, number two, understand the gift of singleness. Now, I know I've covered this already, but just to quickly touch on it again. There are unique features to singleness, and there are freedoms that will only come to you as you are single that you will not be afforded when you're married. And so do it well. Enjoy being single and use the giftedness well. You will be able to have many, many more friends of the opposite gender when you're single than when you are dating and married someone. Because it, by necessity, will change. You cannot have the same amount of, like, I can't have a bunch of female friends because I'm married. My wife, like, that would be inappropriate for me. But if I'm single, that's okay. That's totally fine. And so that's a good gift of singleness. And you can use these relationships to learn and to grow and to understand and to ask questions and to become more rounded as a person. Like, I'm so grateful, just as an example, for the fact that I grew up with a sister and we were very close in age. And so I was able to really learn a lot from her about what it, 
what it, the differences between a, a, a sort of boy and a girl at that point, but like a man and a woman when we grew up, and be able to understand. And, and I was, I think, a better boyfriend when I became a boyfriend because I had a sister growing up and I was able to understand that. You guys have a bunch of brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. Use that, use those friendships wisely to understand and to grow in that understanding too. I want to put a caveat here as well though. Um, singleness is a gift that doesn't mean that it's always easy. I had a conversation with a, uh, with a woman once who was she was single and grew up in a culture in which she had kind of passed that age where you know kind of her prospects for marriage were rapidly drying up she kind of she was now probably considered sort of damaged goods as sad as that is to say i mean that was the reality of the situation and she asked me if i'm gifted for singleness if this is something god has designed me for isn't it supposed to be easy? Because it's not. It's really hard to be single. And I told her, given the way the culture shaped you, and given the way that our culture still to stay impresses upon you, I don't think it will ever be easy. You cannot look at whether this thing is easy or not to determine whether or not you're gifted to be single. Again, you need to be able to hold on to the goodness of God throughout every season to trust in Him and to pray about it for sure. But don't expect that, oh, if I'm meant to be single, it's just going to be easy. I don't think that's the case. There's far too many factors involved that shape our lives and impress upon us for us not to be affected by that. So singleness is a gift. It is something that has inherent goodness to it. But it's not without struggle. It's not without pain. And so please, I don't want to minimize your pain. I want you to understand and embrace that it, it, it can be difficult. And that's okay. Continue to pray. Continue to trust in the goodness of God. So, in dating, don't get too passionate too quickly. Alright, now this is going to have twofold to it. Number one, I softly advocate a two-phase sort of model. That at the beginning, there should be a sort of an exploration idea. That you begin to notice somebody. And you're like, hey, that's a girl. And then you can kind of start, you know, okay, I can, I'm just going to speak from a male perspective, right? So, so you kind of, you can say, hey, you want to go have coffee together? And then you start to chat, get to know each other a bit better as friends. And this is sort of exploration. You kind of, there should be like a little kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge understanding. Like, I don't just do this with friends. Like, this is something that I, I'm kind of interested in you. And I want to see if this could be something that works. But... It's just exploration. There's no commitment at this point. There's no kind of ring on that finger, you know, like it's, it's just seeing if this could work. And then, like I said, going on a first date is not a marriage proposal. So you don't really know much about yourself and you don't know much about that other person, I think, until you begin this process. You should be able to begin this process and get to know them in a bit of a deeper way uh, before you can really even decide whether you actually like them or not. I mean, I've done this, and I've, I've explored the possibility of relationships with people and found pretty quickly, no, I don't think it would work. And so then, you know, you just naturally part ways. Uh, and I've found the opposite. I found, okay, this is something that we can work with, and we begin to start that a bit more, a bit more. Now, I should also say, I've learned far more through my failures than through my successes. I have a whole long list of failures in my romantic life, by the way. That's another sermon. 
But, yeah. Um, so, there should be a period of discovery that's like, that has a likeness to it, uh, just a curiosity about it, that you shouldn't be, have the sense of like fear about. Now, obviously, if, if someone approaches you and asks you for coffee and you kind of know the implication there, and you, you generally have zero desire for it, you should and can say no. But also just have a sense of openness to about it. Even if, I think quite often what will happen is you've never even explored the possibility of liking this person. And I can, okay, again, I'm speaking for a guy, all right? Now, girls, listen. We do not pick up on your cues. We do not know that you are flirting with us. Okay, we don't. We really don't know, all right? So sometimes you're going to have to be really obvious about it. Okay? And just say it. Okay? As much as I wish that wasn't the case, that is the case. Alright? We deal with reality. Not as we wish it to be, but as it is. Now, the, where was I going? Anyway, so, dating. Thank you. That was really good. No, I was going somewhere with it. Oh, yeah. So, so th there are times when you haven't even considered the possibility of that person being an option until you realize that they kind of maybe have feelings for you. And I can speak again from a, a male perspective that I have had female friends before who I would thought we had a completely platonic relationship with. And then I realized that, oh, they kind of like me. And at that moment, the kind of lights come on and I think, maybe I like them too. Maybe this is something that we could work with. And so at that point it begins to go, alright? Now the point is, I wouldn't have even considered them as an option at all until there was that initial kind of bump in the right direction, that initial kind of just nudge. And again, for good, like that's the reality of it. And I can, I'm sure many guys would confess the same thing. Um, right, Aaron? No, sorry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm just the only other married guy in the room, so I'm sorry. Anyway, nothing about, anyway, sorry. But, that being said, like, don't, okay, going back to the initial point, don't get too passionate too quickly. Allow there to be a lightness in the beginning. Allow yourself to be open to things in the beginning, to be curious in the beginning without a sense of, like, this means something huge and massive. It doesn't. Just explore the possibility. And then, when you kind of feel, yes, this could be something that worked, you can move into, together as you talk about it, kind of what phase two. I tried hard to come up with a better name, but I couldn't. Phase two is what we're going to go with. That's where you begin to, like, go into kind of this exclusiveness of like, okay, so let's label this thing, let's start doing the activities that you would engage in together. Now, again, I want to reiterate, do not get too passionate too quickly. This applies not only in the beginning of the relationship, but throughout the relationship too. Confessions of deep love and commitment are completely unrealistic early on. You cannot confess your undying love to someone that you have dated for two weeks, all right? I know I said that very strongly, but I feel very strongly about that too. Now, not only is that in an emotional sense of intimacy, but also obviously in a physical sense of intimacy too. You will, just by being soaked in this culture, have a huge, huge temptation to go further and further sexually, all right? Now, next week we're going to cover sex in detail, and I'm sure there's going to be many questions that come out about it there too. But 
I want you just, I just want to point to one verse that is a, should be a strong wake-up call to us when it comes to this area. First Thessalonians chapter 4, from verse 3 to 8, says this, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we have told you and warned you before. I'll read verse 7 as well. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy lives. There's that verse, in, uh, sorry, that, that bit in verse um, 4, I believe, or 6. 6. And that in no, and in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Realize this: if you are dating someone, you are still their brother or sister in Christ. The primary allegiance that you have to them is to edify them and to protect their purity. That is what you are called to do. If you, because you are unable to control yourself, lead them into sexual temptation and sin. God holds you responsible for that. Please, I beg you, take it seriously. Alright? Your duty to them as a Christian brother or sister is to protect their integrity and to edify them. Okay. So, going out of that. So, uh, don't get too passionate too quickly. Next one. When you are in a relationship, focus on friendship development rather than relationship development. Okay. So, this goes on to another conviction I have, and that is your spouse should be your very best friend. Okay? Your spouse should be your very best friend. And if that's the case, then your dating should reflect this idea that we want to have a deeply connected friend relationship. The difference between friends and romantic partners is, very broadly speaking, romantic partners stand eye to eye looking at each other. Friends stand shoulder to shoulder looking in the same direction. And what that means is, it's perfectly fine for a, a couple uh, who are married to look at each other and say, Oh my gosh, I love you. You complete me. You're so perfect for me. If I did that to my friend, you're really weird. Alright? And the point of it is that, not to say that there should be no romantic development, there should be no sense of like, you know, having a sense of, of bond and intimacy with the other person, but that it should far that should be far less and it should be far outweighed by friend development, which is that you should be sort of going together in the same direction. You should be serving the church together. Uh, you know, you should be engaging in different uh, church projects together or just projects at large, you know, go and study together or go and do those types of things. You should be having activities with friends, not just alone. You should be going out as part of groups so you get to know each other in the context of your friend circles as well. You should be pursuing mutual passions. You love rock climbing? I love rock climbing. Let's climb rocks together. Like, that kind of stuff should be the type of things you go on. If you're just sort of going to candlelit dinners and cuddling on the couch, it's not going to get you very far. It's going to pursue one thing to the expense of the others, and that's not going to prepare you well. Uh, fifth, and this is probably one of the most important ones, get into the everyday life to assess the character of the other person. The, the goal of this, to go back to what we were saying in the beginning, is character assessment. You want to know and be able to fall in love with that person's character, that their mission, what God is doing in their life. 
And so to do that, you need to know that. You need to know their character. You need to know them. So you need to be able to see them in the context of their friends, in the context of their family and their church. It's important to get into the, like, that nitty-gritty detail of their life and to see them. See them get frustrated and stressed, if appropriate. Uh, if you are dating someone, uh, it's important to see how you guys deal with conflict resolution, how your partner deals with repentance and forgiveness, how they deal with a, a willingness to change out of love for the other person. If you haven't yet fought with the person and see how they deal with conflict, then either you're just keeping it really light and breezy and you're not really getting down deep to it, or you're perfect for each other, which I doubt. Very much. You're not perfect for each other. So, you want, if you never argue, you, you're still in that kind of infatuation stage and it's not going not gonna to help very much. Uh, number six, uh, get community input. Alright, so, if you have close friends, listen to them. Listen to their opinion about your life, about their, their, the person's life. Uh, brothers and sisters in the church, mentors, role models. Talk to them, listen to them. As a couple, spend time with all the couples to learn and to be challenged by them as well. This is good. The more input you can get, the better. The more wise and valuable input you can get, the better. Not just any input, but wise and valuable. People that you trust, people that know you well. I know not a lot of you are going to have that as part of your life right now. And so maybe you're thinking, I don't know very many people to that level. Well, it's good to start building those relationships too. Because you're going to need that along the way as well. If you're a new couple, try to link up with a, a couple that's established. See if you can go on double dates together. See if you can find a couple here at the church or somewhere else in life that you can ask questions of them. It's important to try to build those relationships because they will be so, so valuable to you in life as well. Now, the seventh one is... I want to advocate a sense of like seriousness to this as well. You cannot just prolong the dating exploration phase two, whatever, indefinitely. All right, you will be playing with someone's emotions. You'll be playing with their heartstrings. So uh, there's two sort of things here, and I guess I'm kind of falling into gender stereotypes by doing this, but I don't really care. Honestly, this is this is how I feel, and I want to be honest about how I feel. So, gentlemen, take the initiative. All right, put yourself out there. If you f see someone that you would like to get to know better, go and ask them. Ask them to go on a date with you. Now, I think that's, that's just a good structure, a good way of doing it. Ladies, if there is someone who you feel like you could have a connection with and they're not making a move, question them about it and tell them, look, if you don't want to pursue this, then kindly, with love, move out the way because I want to be open to what God wants for me. Okay, so there's a great uh, Timothy Keller talks about his wife gave him what he called the pearls before swine speak speech, which is that when he and his wife were just sort of friends, she uh, was under the assumption that he was going to ask her out, and he didn't for a very long time until one day he sat her down and he said, "Look, I'm not calling you a pig, and I'm not calling myself a pearl." But there is a reason why God tells us not to keep throwing valuable things to people who don't appreciate it. So, if you're not willing to make a move, then move away. 
And he said that was the spark that he needed to actually take her seriously. And beforehand he recognized, he was just sort of like, he was very much enjoying this friendship, but with no strings attached, with no sense of commitment or duty towards her. Uh, and that was wrong, that he was sort of taking a, a girlfriend without the commitment. So girls, if, if you feel that a person in your life needs to be confronted by this, then please, confront them with it. Now there will be a time in your life where the most loving, God-honoring thing you can do for a man or a woman is to marry them. Okay? That is going to come in your life, and you need to be ready and willing to do that as well. The older you get, the more seriously you should take it as well. You should be willing to take these steps of faith, even if it seems tricky and difficult. Go and do it. In the meantime, and throughout the dating life, the church should be a great place for you. I want to advocate that Christian communities should be deeply interested in good relationships, healthy, strong relationships. And I will confess that People's Church is not very good at it so far. We're not very good at um, valuing relationships and helping them to flourish. And I pray that we could see a change in the next couple of years. Starting now, but that will take the next couple of years to complete. But what I would like to see is within a church community that singles feel richly blessed by being here because they're in a community in which we can experience cross-gendered relationships and get to learn from each other and experience uh, what it's like to have these types of like, sibling-ish relationships, learn about ourselves, learn about the opposite sex, learn about what works best, and we can be greatly enriched by it. Uh, and as couples, we can learn from other couples and be a light. Uh, so as, a, as an established married couple, I can be a light to others. Others can look to me and Debbie and be able to ask us questions and be able to get a benefit in their relationship from it as well. So that's kind of the end of my tips. Uh, if, if we follow a path like this, I think we're going to find ourselves with a good chance of having your single life and your dating life being something holy, being something constructive, being something that will protect the people involved uh, and prayerfully will lead to a marriage that will have the best chance to flourish and be a light to the community. So, now it's time for your questions. I'm going to take a breathe. Now, I realize there is a lot more ground to cover, so does anybody have any questions? Do we need to stand up and we're going to stretch a bit before we go straight questions? We're going to stand up and stretch. I don't want to put myself up there as like the as like the expert on this, but I will do my best. So, Randy, pardon? <laughs> Who were the cookies for? <laughs> They're for you, Randy. A certain lady left them here. <laughs> Secret admirer. I don't know. I don't know. Someone brought them. There's 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 wedding cake to eat as well, so we're good. Yes, there is cake to eat as well, by the way. Any other questions that are not cookie related? Oh sure, yeah. But I think it might be beneficial to hear, yeah. Because stories of failures come easy. Stories of instructive failures. <laughs> so mo many of you probably don't know that I was engaged, uh, that I, had to, I broke up an engagement with somebody. Uh, so when I was, uh, I guess, I think 20, 
when I was 20 years old, I, I asked someone to marry me. Uh, she said yes. Um, and I think what I learned a lot through that, two things. Uh, one was uh, we really didn't listen to the counsel of other people. That uh, there was a lot of like red flags. When you look back in it, there was a lot of red flags about the relationship, such as my friends really didn't like her. Uh, my parents really very begrudgingly accepted her. Um, there were these there, like there were a lot of arguments that we got into, and because I was very new, and this was the first serious girlfriend I'd ever had, um, I kind of we would fight like once a week at least, and she would. Uh, she or I would like not be on speaking terms for like sometimes more than a day, like every week, uh, and then kind of get back together and then fight again and back. And I just thought it was normal. I really genuinely look back at that time and thought that was just the way couples were, and that uh, we were kind of we had these lot of barriers in our relationship. And I thought like ah, once we're like together, once we're married, it'll all be gone and we'll have the perfect relationship, which was incredibly naive. So I, I looked at I look back at that and I think like oh, I I really was short-sighted, naive about it. Um, I was very idealistic with my view about, you know, once we're married, all of these problems are going to go away. My friends are going to love her. My parents will accept her. All our fighting will stop. Um, so that was one thing I learned. It was like really not to be naive and to listen to other people. And the second thing I learned was the huge importance of uh, maintaining sexual purity. So throughout that all, um, we really did cross a lot of boundaries, but we didn't. Uh, we remained virgins. Uh, and there was, a, there was a lot of times when I was extremely, extremely tempted to cross that line because I would tell myself, we're engaged, like, we're basically married, right? I would tell myself that, so, come on, like, what, like, you know, what's the harm, essentially? And I'm very grateful that God preser preserved me throughout it, because there were some extremely, extremely close moments. Uh, throughout it all, but, but praise God that we didn't, um, for her sake and mine, that we didn't cross that line, uh, because obviously I w we never got married, so yeah, that was one big thing. Yeah? I think, okay, so uh, one of the most exciting things about uh, starting a relationship with Debbie was the friendship that came first, so uh, at the beginning, we um, <clears throat> we began to just develop a friendship. We we kind of moved. We were both studying at the same university, and, and I moved on campus for my last year of university, and she was already living on campus. And so we, we moved. We basically became sort of next door neighbors, and we didn't really know each other up to that point. And so we began to like talk to each other and get to know each other really well. Uh, and then there was a point where I felt like I had feelings for her, uh, but I knew she had feelings for a friend of mine. <laughs> But I said to her, like, look, I can't, like, continue to go on without you knowing that I kind of have a crush on you. So just for, for the sake of honesty, I'm going to tell you. And she said to me, like, thanks, but I don't feel the same way. Uh, so I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, I really wanted to preserve the friendship. Uh, and so I, I kind of said to myself, like, I'm not going to let this destroy the friendship. I will continue to just be her friend. I really enjoyed hanging out with her. So we continued to develop a friendship, uh, and it was really hard at first, but it was really, really a valuable thing. It, it helped us really get close as friends, and then there was a point where she, she asked me, she's like, do you still like me? And at that point, I still did, but I said to myself, I will not ask her again, because I don't want to like sort of embarrass her or kind of put her on the spot. Uh, and I said, well, honestly, yes, I do. And she said, okay, good, because I like you. 
Um, so, and that's kind of what it kind of birthed out of. But that was one of the most, that was one of the biggest blessings I had was just to enjoy like this relationship kind of almost coming together naturally without really any pressure on it, which is really good. And one of the, one of the hardest things about the dating relationship, yeah, that was a question. Probably again, like maintaining uh, like sexual boundaries was really hard. Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and so I had no kind of parental support of being like, you know, got to do this. And so, uh, and then she uh, she kind of grew up in a Christian family, but but sort of not not really. And then so, but she was also living very far away from them, and so she was living at home. I was living at home. There was a lot of opportunities for us to be alone together, uh, and so it was really hard to kind of draw those boundaries well. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges we faced uh, was to really just try our hardest to take you Yeah. Questions? Hello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. I think it's important to know. So, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all model. I think if you're in that case where um, I don't know your name. Sorry, what's your name? Say, Simi. Uh, where if you've known this person for an incredibly long time and you've been friends for a very long time, it's probably going to look different when you eventually start dating. That's your question, right? Um, okay. So the question was, if you've, I guess, if you, if you're already in a dating relationship in which you've been just developing the romantic side of things, how do you make that switch to, to developing the more friendship side of things? Um, it's probably going to take uh, different boundaries being set up. I would say a different strategy approach to say, let's try and when we're together, um, focus on. Uh, you know, mutual tasks that we're doing together, focus on, I think even going through like a book study together, like there's great books out there about preparation uh, for marriage and, and asking each other very difficult questions uh, to kind of get to know each other's character. I think that's really important too. Uh, and then to see each other in those different contexts. So instead of spending time, uh, you know, eating dinner together, you spend time at church together, or you spend time around, among friends together, or among family together, to really consciously put those things into practice so that you're able to see more and more of those things. I think that if you come out of it into a marriage in which you have a very strong romantic relationship, but you're not very, you're not very strong friends, you're going to continue to find your emotional quota, like sort of quota being filled by other friends in your life which is appropriate to a degree, but not to a great degree. Like, if, for instance, I um, had a bunch of female friends in my life that gave me, like, a sense of, like, you know, that I joked around a lot with and would, like, spend a lot of time with on the phone and all that kind of stuff, uh, that would show that my wife's not really a good friend to me, you know? And I would, I, would, I would be awful. Like, I'd want my wife to be a really deep 
friend that I felt good connections with that we could build our relationship upon these mutual interests that we have and to focus on those mutual interests. And if they're a Christian that you're with and one of your big mutual interests is growing in Christ, you know, to have a relationship that's built upon mutually growing each other up in Christ. I think that's a really key thing that you do as friends for each other that should be introduced into the into a relationship. Anything else? Hello. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a very good question. Um, I'll do my best to answer it. it it's tricky, though, because I could, I could answer it within the context of a marriage, but within, you're right, it, it should take on a different shape in the context of dating. I would say that... The way that it should work is, I think that a woman should be willing to if there's a leadership vacuum to address that and to call it out when she sees that to say look you're not doing what you're called to do here um, she shouldn't like it shouldn't be her like responsibility to have to continue to sort of you know for instance things like bible studies and things like um, you kind of bring the momentum to the relationship to moving it forward that really should come from sort of a, from the man, obviously very like much within conversations and with talking, but him sort of initiating these things, saying we should do this and we should do that and we should go in this direction, uh, with conversation and, and never bulldozing over her, but just kind of lead her lovingly along in these things. And then if so, a woman should be, I think, sensitive to that uh, and 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 sort of be willing to willing to like sort of go along with it when she sees it and then also willing to call it out when she doesn't see it. I've met a lot of couples in which the man is not the spiritual head of the house, where it is the woman or the mother who is uh, really guiding the family spiritually and there's a lot of resentment that builds up because of that. Uh, I think that in those relationships quite often the woman intuitively knows like that was not her responsibility, the man should be doing that and it's because of his passivity that he's not. Uh, and I think that a lot of resentment can grow in that. So before resentment has a chance to build, to call it out and say, what I need from you is this. I th- I, that's probably the best I can answer it. It, it. It's probably, I can't give you like specifics very much though. Yeah. Hmm. You might be asking, like, what if you have gone too far, you have yes. crossed the line sexually, then they still hope for a good, good Yeah. Yeah, I will be going to that a lot next week, but yes. Absolutely. I think that um, there is always, there's always redemption of the cross. Um, I think there's very, very good reasons why God says what he says, um, and that to do it his way brings a multitude of blessings. But at the same time, uh, yeah, there's always redemption of the cross. There is always a, uh, an openness uh, to a new, a new day. Yeah. Hey, Tegan. Um, I have a question about if there has ever been an experience where 
Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so, I mean, I, the most traumatic thing I ever had relationship-wise was having to break off the engagement that I had. And so I broke it off when I was like 23-ish, I think. Yeah. So uh, at that point, I um, really, really fell into a period where I lost sight of like, the future God had for me. I lost sight of who I was. Um, it's at, it was at a point where like, I really I didn't think that I was capable of that. When you sin so bad against someone that you claimed to love so greatly, uh, it really made me feel like I had lost all rights to ever be married, to ever be truly happy. I felt guilty about being happy, um, all these kinds of things. And it followed me for like, months afterwards. I went through like your typical kind of, I dyed my hair black, <laughs> I was like, I was in a really like, I stopped, I, no, like I stopped showering, like it was bad, man, like, I was like in a real like depression for a while, um, and my friends tried to help me, but like, it was, it was, it was brutal, um, and during that time, like, I really lost sight of my relationship, my, like the blessing of knowing who God calls me, like that I am his son, that I am forgiven, um, and there was a point I really distinctly remember it, um, where for a while God had been telling me, like, you need to accept my forgiveness, like, you need to accept my forgiveness. Um, and I was, I couldn't, like, I just felt like I couldn't accept his forgiveness. And it's really hard to be in that place where you just feel condemned all the time. Um, and, and there was a point in it where I, where I thought, like, where I had this kind of thought that was, God, I'm so bad. Like, I'm so much worse than I thought I was. Like, I was such a coward. I was such a selfish person. I was just, I was like, I'm so bad. And, and in the midst of all that, God really spoke to me clearly and said, you know, I know that about you, and I still love you. Like, now you see yourself the way that I see you, but I still love you. Realize that. And so it was really at that point of realizing, like, the depth of God's love, like that man, like though both of those things were true. I was so much worse than I ever thought I was, but I was also loved in that moment. It really just, the lights came on, on in my life and it was like this turning point for me. So I went through that kind of dry period, but coming out of the other side was, I had such a grip of the love of God on the other side, which I was really grateful for. Yeah. Any other? Aaron in. Okay. Are you saying after you break up? Oh, um, I guess just be adults about it. Like, it happens. Uh, do your best to sort of still see each other as friends or as acquaintances. I, I would have to, like, depend. It really does depend on, like, how the relationship ended and, and, um, kind of what happens next, but what I would hope is that there is redemption and reconciliation in the cross. So I think to have maybe even like mediated discussions with like a pastor present to be like, okay, like how do we move forward now, even after this breakup? Um, I know it might be much easier just to say, well, I'm going to go to a different church or something like that. Um, and in some cases that could be appropriate, uh, but I think I would like to hope that in most cases 
being civil, being adults, and being patient with it, I think you'll be able to find you are able to kind of get out of that and be able to just be brothers and sisters again. But it will take it'll take time and patience and effort for sure. With going to another church. Yeah, um, I think that it may constitute giving up too quickly and not really trusting in the power of the gospel to unite us despite our many differences. You know, like I like to think the, that the church is far closer to being really naturally opposite ends of the social spectrum and yet held together in Christ. I think that if we start to see a church, it's just like people who are like us and we gather together because we know we, we have all this stuff in common, so it's just natural that we congregate together. We're kind of missing the power of the gospel. The gospel, the power of the gospel is to bring people from all kinds of different walks of life that typically would have nothing to do with each other and yet uniting them with this much stronger bond in Christ. So I'd say that, you know, when you think of like personal grievances that you'd have with each other, to, to say the gospel doesn't have the power to overcome that, I think would be selling it short. And so it wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but I think you might be really just being a quitter, perhaps, if you, if you went that direction. Like you wouldn't be a trusting God. Um, but yeah, like, like let's say someone gets cheated on. I think I could I would totally understand if you, if you were like betrayed in a serious way that you would want to have at least a period of like being away. Or, or like, okay, so not the person who's betrayed, away but the person who betrayed them to be asked like you need to give this person space you need to be gone for a while I think that's that's probably appropriate in a situation like that yeah any other questions hey man yes sir Oh, great. Could you have some of them? I was well aware of who was single and who wasn't. Oh, okay. And it always just makes things really awkward. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it, yeah. I, I don't know, like, it's, uh, if they're, like, much older than you, I think it can be much really difficult, right? Because you can't really, like, if they're the same age as you and they're just no, being annoying, yeah, then you can just tell them to, like, <laughs> knock it off. But if they're, like, much older than you, um... I don't know, does anyone have that happen? I, I know there's some girls in this church that happens to them a lot. Anyone, do you have any advice for it? Honestly, that doesn't really happen to me. I don't know. Okay. That's the easiest way to deal with it. You laugh and brush it off. You laugh and brush it off, you make a joke about it, you keep going with it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think if it becomes, if it becomes a real. Yeah, if it becomes really bothersome, they have to say, like, you have to stop this. Like, you have to treat me like an adult. Like, I'm capable of making decisions. I'm capable of like, I'm capable of like knowing who I am, and and I, I can see people like I have eyes, like, <laughs> and be able to tell them like I appreciate the effort, but it's really common, it's really annoying me, you know, with love. <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, and I know in like certain communities it would be really common. Yeah. Mhm. Mm oh. Well, you know, I wouldn't advocate that, but if it works, I guess. 
Yeah, I, I get the annoyance. Uh, yeah, tricky thing for sure. Well, that's true. You could just you could just get married. <laughs> that would shut him up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In their face. <laughs> Anything else? Hey, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Good question. So it's basically dealing with like wounds from the past in that specific instance, like uh, trust issues that have developed out of broken relationships. Um, yeah, I think that uh, we treat it seriously. Like we, we do have to deal with the baggage that we have in our life. And so uh, there's, there's really like a recognition of a couple of things, a recognition of like your identity in Christ being the thing that you're building on so that when catastrophe strikes in life, it doesn't completely undo you. Like, if you have a relationship with God, um, it gives you this, like, girding in life that, even when I broke up with that, uh, with my fiancé, like, I, I never, like, completely gave into despair. Even in my darkest moments, I knew that whatever happened, even if I ended up, like, you know, living in a bush, like, God would be there with me in the midst of it all. And that gave me an extreme sense of hope and peace among it all. So, so to know that whatever the future holds, God has you. Um, to, so to recognize that, to recognize that um, uh, that love that comes from Christ can heal all kinds of wounds. That uh, as you grow to trust Him, uh, you will naturally kind of open your heart up as well. Uh, and, and so you have to be willing to give over things to Christ in love and to let Him kind of lovingly take areas of your life and help you to deal with them through prayer, uh, through confession to other brothers and sisters, things like this. Uh, definitely help ask other people to come around you and to, to pray with you and to be able to like sort of vent to them and unload to them to have friends around you who can help. Uh, and then to recognize ultimately love is always a risk. It's always a leap of faith. To put yourself up there, uh, it's, it's always going to be terrifying. It's really scary to put yourself out there and to see, to kind of put your happiness in someone else's hands. Uh, so to know that you, you're never going to be in a place where you're going to be 100% okay and ready and gung-ho to move on before it happens. Like, there's always going to be a risk to it as well. Um, yeah, that's generally the advice I'd give. Uh, one more question, if there is one. Uh, otherwise, we'll break up. All right. Well, I do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, the Bible doesn't speak about soulmates, for sure. Um, there's, de- there's certainly, like, a, a case to be made in terms of, like, uh, what you would call sort of, like, providence or maybe serendipity to say, like, oh, people just kind of find each other and it's God's hand putting them together. 
So that's, uh, that's something that certainly takes place, and, and there's a lot of stories of that in scripture and in, 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 in church history as well. Uh, but not to say that's the same thing as like a soulmate. Like when you meet that person, you're not going to like feel like that is the one um, necessarily. You know? So the Bible doesn't speak of the idea, not that I'm aware of, not that I can think of it in this moment, and, and I don't think I've ever found one that would speak of the idea of like a soulmate, no. But there's ideas of compatibility. And the only thing the Bible says in terms of like who you should marry is to, that they're a Christian. That's it. Like that's the, that's the bar the Bible sets. And I think it's very important to actually bring it up because um, I know a lot of people can get frustrated with uh, like the lack of options in the church. And I can get how incredibly frustrating that is and my heart breaks because I don't want to make light of that. I know that some people have been waiting and waiting and waiting a long time and feel like there's just no option for them. Um, I just want to impress upon anyone who might be feeling that the importance of being what the Bible called equally yoked, like being in a relationship with another Christian. Like, I cannot imagine being married to Debbie if she wasn't also a believer. Like, the, the, the part of my heart that she wouldn't be able to share is massive. Like my fears, my joys, my, my goals in life, my value system uh, would all, I'm, I'm sure if she loved me, she would try to understand and to relate. But I know because again, my parents aren't Christian and my, my, fam, my siblings are not Christian. They, they, they sympathize, they, they try their best to understand, but they don't get it. And so I, I know in the relationship I had with my family, there was always this thing that held me back from like full fellowship with them. Uh, and to have that in my, my marriage would just be agony, just be absolute agony. And so I really want to spare anybody that. I think not only would it be really unwise in terms of like the types of temptations you can fall into and the types of ways that can really hurt your walk with God, but on the flip side of it, just like the blessing you miss out on would be really big, really, really big. And, and and if you uh, think you're okay with that, then one of two things are, are the case. Either you don't really understand what's at stake, or you don't really care about God as much as you should. Um, and so, yeah, I would really, really highly stress that. As much as it's difficult, please have patience, trust, and pray, and, and I think God will answer that. Okay? So I want to just say um, the leaders, leaders stand up. Um, so one, two, three, four. Uh, if you want to pray with these people, um, please go and ask them to pray with you. I, I imagine some of the stuff might have brought up some wounds or some desires in your heart that you want to pray. Uh, you can come pray with me. You can come pray with any of these four as well. Uh, just come and grab us. Uh, we'll be here at least for the next 25, 30 minutes. So well, I'm going to bring out some cake. We can enjoy cake, cookies for Randy. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> And then, uh, actually, those are all Randy's cookies. He might give you some. But then, yeah, uh, during that time, uh, the, the ladies know they'll just take you aside and go pray in a quiet place with you. Okay? All right. Goodbye. Oh, you're welcome. sermon today. I hope you found it interesting. If you have any questions or you want to get a hold of us, if you go to peoplesmontreal.org and follow the links, 
you'll be able to find us there. Hope you have a wonderful week. God bless you.